When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. What I like to do is when there's a, a great player who's, who's really relevant at the time, if I'm in a shooting clinic... And, you know, the past few years, obviously, I can talk about Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and, and talk about their form and the camps because kids are wearing their jerseys and they look up to them. And, you know, in specific situations, what I try to do is say, you know what, LeBron James is six foot eight, 240 pounds, 250, 260, whatever he is. He's a freak of nature. Pretty much everybody in the NBA is. But then there's guys that aren't that have found a way to make it work because of ability to handle the ball or shoot or play defense, whatever it is, that isn't just athletically related. That was former Wisconsin Green Bay guard Ryan Borowitz, who's a basketball coach and skills trainer with his own facility in Hobart, Wisconsin. He's today's guest. Welcome to Dan Dickow's quarantine series on the Scorebook Live Today podcast. As the world of sports is shut down due to the coronavirus, we're ramping things up a notch here at Scorebook Live. Every weekday, Dan interviews an expert in the world of sports, from star hoopers and coaches like Steve Kerr, Jamal Crawford, and Doug Christie, to seven-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilder Phil Heath. We hope you're entertained and maybe learn a thing or two as we navigate these uncertain times. The easiest way to tune in is by subscribing. In addition to our weekly Washington High School Sports News and Conversation podcast released Thursdays, hosted by myself, Andy Bueller, fellow reporter Todd Millis. Dan is bringing you interviews just like this one delivered five days a week. Head to wherever you get your podcast, subscribe for free. And while you're there, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Before we get to Dan's interview today, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Washington Federal. Washington Federal is a local bank and portfolio lender with more than 200 branches across eight states more than 32,000 fee-free ATMs, 24-7 online and mobile banking with drive-up ATMs. The Washington Federal is a proud sponsor of Scorebook Live. They care deeply about high school sports and the communities that support them across the entire state of Washington. Head to wfdbank.com to learn how they can help you meet your financial goals. That's wafdbank.com. Washington Federal, a neighbor you can count on. We hope everybody's staying safe and healthy. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Now, Dan Dicko. Dan Dickow, Scorebook Live, Washington Today, where we continue our quarantine series uh, where we bring an expert in the field of sports. Uh, it could be a coach, player, broadcaster, coach, you name it. Um, 
we're going to try to bring you some some information, some nuggets, something to motivate you during these times. Today's guest is someone that I got to know about 20 years ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long, but uh, we played on an Athletes in Action trip uh, tour that went over to Europe and played a number of games against high-level professional teams over there. We've stayed in touch. I've followed his uh, business career, his coaching career, and now his unique career as a trainer lives in the Green Bay, Wisconsin area. He played at Wisconsin Green Bay for a tremendous coach in Dick Bennett, Ryan Borowitz. Ryan, how goes life in the Midwest? Well, Dan, it's probably very similar to yours right now. It's said you got more kids than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yours is probably a little busier, but a lot of, a lot of downtime, a lot of reflecting, and a lot of uh, figuring out what's next, but things are fine. Well, good to hear that you and your family is safe. Uh, as I mentioned, we kind of got to know each other on an Athletes in Action tour, uh, playing with some high-level players against some high-level teams. And you played at University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Uh, but before that, you were a multi-sport standout in the Wisconsin area. If I'm not mistaken, all state in football, basketball, and baseball. You now are a trainer at a, at a, at a really unique facility in the Midwest. What is your message to parents and kids these days about being a multi-sport athlete, learning how to handle different roles, even though you are running a basketball-specific facility? Yeah. Well, I got to correct something. I, I definitely was not All-State in baseball. <laughs> if any of my baseball teammates heard that, they'd be like, hold up. <laughs> I was the definition of a role player in baseball. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't and this kind of leads to your question, I didn't really put a lot of time into baseball. I just did it because it was fun. You know, it was my buddies. Um, AU really wasn't a big thing at all back then. So you didn't have that spring season. So you had time to play baseball more so. Um, but football and basketball were definitely something I put a lot of time into. Um, and really, you know, I was fortunate. I didn't have to work. My parents didn't require me to work. So I had time. And a lot of it for me was just structuring that time. It was basketball first in the morning and in the summer. And then it was football time. And then it was back to basketball. And then the evening, maybe a little baseball. Um, but, to, you know, running a basketball-specific facility, I, I never and will never, <laughs> I shouldn't say never, but I, I have never instructed a kid to only play one sport. Um, I know the times are different than when I was growing up, and it's, it's, it is very different, but I still think you can get it done. And I still think it comes down to me, you get one chance. You, know, you get one chance at life. You don't want to look back and say, gosh, I wish I would have played those last two years of baseball. I, I really enjoyed it, or I wish I would have stayed with football. Uh, the flip side is, you know, I wish I would have focused more on that basketball or whatever. So I could have got that scholarship or whatever. But so I do get it when kids come to me with that question. But the question I always throw back on them is, okay, so you're going to, let's just use baseball as an example. You're going to quit baseball to focus on basketball. So that two hours a day that you would normally be at baseball practice, are you going to spend those two hours playing basketball is the question I throw right back on them. And they, I typically get the same answer. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Yep. Yep. And then I'll see that kid. Hey, when's the last time you touched the ball? Ah, it's been a couple of weeks. <laughs> okay. You know, was it really worth all that time um, that you aren't playing baseball and making those memories and having fun? Um, now, if they can legitimately say, yep, I, I'm in the gym every day and I'm making the most of that time now, um, th then it's probably worth it for those kids. But I just think if you structure your time well, you can, you can do it all. That's a great way to advise kids and parents on whether to specialize in a particular sport or continue along on that multi-sport path, which 
unfortunately, I, I think is uh, starting to go away in these day and ages. And, and I hope that uh, more kids and more families and more parents can realize the value of, hey, I might not be the best player in this particular sport, but I'm on a team. I'm learning a role. I'm, I'm learning how to accept coaching from a different style of coach or being taught a different way. I think those lessons are, are invaluable. Exactly. And I, and like I said, I don't want to be the guy who says, well, back in my day, we could do it all. I mean, I totally get the times are different. The, the, the structure of sports is different. Um, but I a hundred percent agree with what you said. And I know my college coach, when he recruited me, he said, I like the fact that you're an athlete, you know, you're not just a basketball player, you're a competitor, you're going to compete at everything you do. And then you mentioned the stuff about, you know, learning your role. Like in baseball, I was a role. I didn't even play much my junior year. Um, I had to work hard when I did work on baseball to get in the lineup as a senior. And I had to understand my role. And I wasn't going to pitch every day like I did in Little League. I was, I was a fifth level pitcher, a fourth guy on the, on the staff, you know. So you learn those roles. You learn and then you take that into the business world or whatever. And you say, okay, this is my role. This is how I'm going to help the company. And I can do it just like I did that senior year in baseball where I wasn't a star, but I still contributed. So I totally transfers to real life. You mentioned your high school, excuse me, your college coach. Um, you didn't mention his name. He's one of the all-time greats, I think, that, that doesn't get the recognition maybe nationally that he deserves. Uh, and that's Dick Bennett. Uh, people in Wisconsin obviously know him well. People here in the state of Washington know him well from his time at Washington State where he and Tony kind of resurrected that program. And, and you could say had some glory years. Uh, making it to the NCAA tournament a couple different times. How good of a coach was he? But then also how good of a person was he? Because I've got some friends that have played for him at their time at Washington State, and they can't say enough good things about Dick Bennett. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I feel like I played for him longer because I watched as a kid. I grew up going to all the games. I grew up like two miles from where they play their, their home games. And – so then I got recruited by him and then played my freshman year. And then after my freshman season, he went to the university of Wisconsin in the big 10. Um, and then I had a different coach for my next four years, but grow, having grown up, you know, watching the practice and I got to know him. I just felt like he was always my coach. Um, but he was, he's very singularly focused just on excellence. You know, and I, I think that we literally had that, that word on a big banner up in the gym, just excellence. Like, we're going to do our thing. He wasn't big on scouting reports. We never had a scouting report. It was, let's do what we do better than they do, and we'll win. And typically that was hold them to 42 points and, and 28% <laughs> shooting, and, and, and then they just want to go home because they hate playing against that and score enough points to make it work. Um, but he was a, a great you know, uh, teacher of the game and then an even better person. And I think that gets passed down to his son, Tony, and I think – um, I got a chance to know Tony. Tony was my idol growing up, still is. And, you know, you saw the the composure he uh, showed after they lost in that 116 matchup, you know, and, and he just treated that so well. People were just amazed, like, how could somebody handle that that well? And then the ultimate redemption story to come back and win it the next year. We um, just couldn't have been more happy for the family, for Coach Bennett uh, Sr. And, and for Tony as well. But as good of basketball minds as they are, and, I, you know, probably – as good as any around, even better people for sure. Uh, legit, the real deal kind of people. I love hearing about the impact that Coach Bennett had on your career, just watching him as a kid growing up by going to games, being your, your coach for a year, and then you following Tony kind of as a mentor, role model. I had similar uh, role, role models, mentors that I watched growing up in the Portland, Vancouver area. 
but after your college career playing, because of your experiences with the Bennett family, did that make you want to get into coaching? Because I know you spent a couple of years as an assistant coach at the Division three level. Yeah, I, I, I got into college coaching kind of on a whim. It was just a, a connection, and I was kind of in between. I finished up my student teaching after I had played in Australia, um, and I was just kind of like, okay, what now? And I, the plan was to go and be a high school teacher and, and coach. And then I got a chance to go and coach in college uh, just as an assistant, kind of D3 level, really enjoyed it um, and liked the fact that, you know, I just kind of liked that level of player and did that for a couple of years while kind of working on the side, trying to get my master's degree, you know, check all the boxes. And then, um, you know, life just kind of happened. My wife and I got married at that time. She had to go to grad school. So the life of a college coach, which, you know, as you know, is just, you're all over the place. You got to be willing to go where, kind of wherever, whenever. It didn't really vibe with the life that I was now starting with, with my wife. And certainly that was a priority and it was, okay, I'll figure out a different way to coach. And then, so I took a, a business job and, and we did that for a while and I was helping out at a high school. And while I was doing that, the high school uh, varsity coach, his kid was a really good player, ended up playing at Wisconsin. Um, his name was Zach Showalter, played for the Badgers in the final four. And I started working with Zach a little bit, um, just kind of doing some one-on-one -on -one stuff. And I just felt like, Ooh, I really like doing this. You know, this, this kind of individual attention and really focusing on the details really started to, uh, draw me to that side of coaching. And there really wasn't a lot of people doing it at that time. This was 15 years ago, more than that even. And then that just kind of started again. We, we, we um, moved again and I took another job. We wanted to start having kids. So then the idea of helping out at a high school even seemed kind of tough because my wife was traveling for work a lot. So she wasn't going to be home. And um, yeah, just, I couldn't just commit to three, four hours a day, every day for six, five months in a, in a high school season. So I started kind of working with kids individually and um, that just, you know, started to really grow, but I really started to grab hold of that concept of, okay, I can really help this kid in his team concept. Not that I'm teaching him something his varsity coach isn't going to teach him, but I'm teaching, I have the time to teach him about shooting, the time to work on, you know, some mechanics that his high school coach or whatever just doesn't have time to do because they got a hundred other things in a practice to do. You know, that's, uh, that's, it's an interesting pathway. And it, every time I interview somebody for this, who, whether as a coach or somebody like yourself, who's on the business side of basketball as a trainer running a facility, the game continues to draw them back to wanting to be involved with basketball because of the passion that so many people have for the game. You mentioned you go from uh, coaching to business wanting to stay involved. I believe you worked at a church for a short bit while you're doing the training on the side. Now all of a sudden you have an opportunity to build up your own facility. And I know a lot of people across the country who do the training thing would love to have their own facility. You run it as a businessman, you train as a trainer with the passion of the game. How do you differentiate? And you touched on this a little bit a second ago. How do you differentiate coaching versus training to the skill wise uh, the skill impact that you can have, but also on the mental aspect of taking those skills, translating them into what their coach's philosophy might be. Yeah, I think it's a great question. You know, it is a mix of on the court, off the court, and I do both. You know, I don't have like a business manager that handles that. And I don't, it's not where I'm just handling the business side and I got a bunch of trainers. I'm doing both right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, to answer your question about trainer versus coach, I, I definitely see myself 
as I really use the term even teacher more. Um, I'm teaching specific aspects of the game. I, I love to focus on shooting. Um, but I, when I, the way I watch the game, the way I see the game, and I started to see this the more I watched basketball, like with my dad, like my dad's a coach. You know, I played for my dad in grade school and he was a high school assistant. He sees the game in X's and O's and, you know, that zone is bad because of this guy. And this is how you would attack that, that one, three, one trap. And this is when we run offense, this is what we need to see. I see the game. When I watch that same game, I'm watching this kid's guide hand on his shot. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, his footwork was off. That's why he missed that shot. I'm not usually seeing it as, Oh, he needs to penetrate that gap and get the ball down to the short corner. I'm saying, he needs to get his guide hand off his shot because he ain't going to make more than 30% doing that. So it's just a different way of seeing it. And I think, I think some people can do both, but as I started to see like, Hey, I could maybe make this a career and make this a, a, a you know, a, a sustainable um, career in business. The more I started to see when you, when you kind of niche into something, it grows your own market. You know, I've seen, um, even just, you know, if I put something out there, I'm going to do a shooting specific off the dribble. People will say, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's, let's do that. Cause it's so specific. Some people would say, be as broad as you can. My advice sometimes would be, you know, be more specific because the more you're seen as an expert in something, the more people are willing to say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to pay for that. I'm willing to, you know, commit to X amount of sessions because you're the expert in this. And I know I've seen that and, and embraced that and just said, well, I loved shooting. I studied shooting as a player. Now I'm going to study it as a, as a teacher of it so that I can then impart that to kids who, who really want to develop that aspect of their game. Um, and not just shooting, but that's certainly one that, that I really like to focus on. And as you develop that level of expertise, people become willing to say, Hey, I, I want that, you know, for my kid. And that's you know something that's a little bit new 20, 30 years ago, there weren't shooting coaches really maybe a handful. Um, but now as, as the games evolved and there's different, different ways of, uh, of coaching and teaching, you know, I found this nice niche of, you know, being able to, to really teach and train kids in those things. And I still, I don't coach a ton. Like I don't coach my kids in much because I'm at the gym all the time from, you know, three o'clock till nine o'clock. So I can't go to their practices and be there every day, but I do coach them. And, you know, we have a couple of AU teams that we do through the facility. So I get a chance to coach, coach them X's and O's and five on five there. Um, but it's just a different way for me. It's a different way of looking at the game and it just fits my personality and how I see and watch the game as it is. You mentioned love, you love shooting. I loved shooting as well, but your college, uh, system philosophy you played under was let's hold them to 28% field goal shooting. <laughs> like you mentioned earlier. So for you to become a true connoisseur of how to teach shooting might go a little bit against the, the Bennett's philosophy and how they view the game. But you mentioned there's a lot of really good shooting coaches, and, and I would agree. I, I follow a number of them on social media. I, I watch some videos here and there. You've come out with a really good shooting video, in my opinion. It's called The Kinetic Shooter. Where did you come up with these, uh, your, your, your program, your philosophy on how the shot should be built? And if somebody's interested in finding out more or, or purchasing, where would they go? Sure. Well, they, they can find it on, on my website. It's drivewayhoops.com or they can, it's, it's on the um, coaching video resource page, uh, coach tube. So if they go to coach tube and type in kinetic shooter, they'll find it there. They can purchase the, the digital version where you can just have access to it. Um, so when it comes to shooting, you know, I, I certainly don't, I don't feel like I'm a my way or the highway kind of teacher of the, of, of the shot. But when you watch great shooters and we do shooting camps all summer and, 
um, you know, I'll put 25 pictures of good shooters on, on the TV screen in front of 30 kids. And there's similarities, you know, they're, they're, they're not identical, but they're absolutely are similarities. So as I looked at how I teach shooting, it was partly what I was taught from my dad, my high school coach, my college coaches. And then what I learned just, okay, well, that guy's a great shooter. Tony Bennett is a great shooter. His all time leading three point shooter still in college basketball history. I want to shoot like him. Steve Alford was another guy for me. I wanted to shoot like Steve Alford. He, you know, he, he was coming up as a player at Indiana right when I was in high school and very impressionable. And I thought if I can shoot like that, I got a chance to play. Cause I'm not going to be six ten. I, I need to figure out how to, how to, you know, excel at something. So if you look at my shot, I'm kind of a hybrid between Tony Bennett and Steve Alford because that's who I studied. Um, so as I teach shooting, I look at these great shooters and say, what do they do? What's the big picture thing they do? And as I did that more and more and wanted to come up with a way to, because coaches are always asking me for drills and they were asking me for how do you teach it? I needed to put it together into something. And that's where the kinetic shooter came from. And the, the concept, the term, I actually met with a, a friend of mine, an orthopedic surgeon, and we were just talking anatomy and physiology and how does the body work? And I, I wanted to just understand it as best I could from his perspective. I get it from a basketball perspective. What about the body and how does it, how does it work best? And I kind of came through that, um, came up with that kinetic shooter using the body's natural energy and flow in doing it efficiently. And that's a big part. You know, there's a lot of inefficient ways to use energy, but when you do it properly and your mechanics are sound, the body's energy just takes over and you can shoot deep. You know, you can be your size and shoot from 25 feet, you know, in an NBA game. And it's no problem because your body is working the way it's properly supposed to. And the mechanics then work for you versus against you. So, um, in general, I talk about three main things, momentum, rhythm, and timing. You know, in the video, we talk about some technique stuff, but then the three kinetic aspects are momentum into the catch, your rhythm, which is kind of that down-up motion that all good shooters have that gives you power and, and flow, and then timing, you know, catching and shooting quickly uh, versus taking a lot of time, bad steps, all that kind of thing. So that's how I try to approach it. And then I design when I'm working with kids, when I'm running camps, I try to design all the drills based on those three things and how to impart that to it. Cause then a coach can put his own spin. If I'm doing a high school uh, program clinic, that, that varsity coach can, can put their own spin on it and say, Hey, this is how we like to do it within our offense, but you can still have momentum, rhythm and timing in your shot. And it fits what we do offensively. Yeah. I, I love the way you describe shooting of momentum, rhythm and timing. I, I'm a big footwork guy. I'm a big rhythm guy uh, for the game of basketball as a whole. And it, 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 clicks with me when I hear those words. Last question before I let you go. Um, you know, the state of Washington no longer has the Sonics. Um, the, the Portland Trailblazers would probably be considered the team in the Northwest now, even though I'm sure a lot of Seattle fans will never go that route. Um, <laughs> you look at the Milwaukee Bucks in, in Wisconsin. They had some struggles but this year they were having a heck of a season. How does the success of a pro team like that impact the excitement of the youth basketball scene in your area? That's a great question. Well, what it, what it looks like is a lot of Giannis shoes and a lot of Giannis jerseys. The man is selling some product and you can see it in my facility every day. <laughs> um, it, it absolutely has an effect. You know, not just, you know, small talk conversation with parents and kids. But then you see the gear, you see Giannis, everything. And, you know, it really comes down to him. He's elevated that franchise, I think, with his MVP level play. And, um, and now they've put some great pieces around him. Hopefully 
somehow they can get back to this season. But um, we, what I like to do is when there's a, a great player who's, who's really relevant at the time, if I'm in a shooting clinic and, you know, the past few years, obviously I can talk about Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and, and talk about their form and mechanics because kids are wearing their jerseys and they look up to them. And, you know, in specific situations, what I try to do is say, you know what, LeBron James is six foot eight, 240 pounds, 250, 260, whatever he is. He's a freak of nature. Pretty much everybody in the NBA is. But then there's guys that aren't that have found a way to make it work because of ability to handle the ball or shoot or play defense, whatever it is, that isn't just athletically related. And then now you're kind of touching on a kid that looks at that guy and says, oh, I can, I can maybe do that. You know, I can, I can talk about Giannis all day, but nobody's going to end up looking like him. But they might be able to shoot like Kyle Korver. Um, or they can, you know, do something that someone else that's pretty normal, you know, can see, I've used you as an example before. Like I said, Dan's probably smaller than I am, but he could do this, this, and this so well, he was able to play at the highest level. Um, so I think the, the excitement certainly is there. It allows you to kind of, you know, mention a name and the kids know who the heck you're talking about for a while there. You could, you could mention some bucks and they might not know what you're talking about. Uh, but, uh, it's been fun certainly. And I just, I just hope they get back to it because they were, you know, this was a good year. I don't know that it was the year, but it was a good year so far. Well, that's, that's awesome to hear how the success of an NBA team in a region can kind of really impact the game positively uh, because I, I saw it firsthand when I was a kid growing up in the Portland area with the Blazers and how successful they were. And I followed them as much as anybody at that time. So well, Ryan, I think I, even with the Bucks, like, you know, they, they kept it right downtown. They built a new arena. They put it right downtown. That's, it's, it's pretty close to some kind of rough areas, but it revitalizes the whole area. You know, they, we, we've seen this in Green Bay. Obviously, it's a different community than downtown Milwaukee. But with the Packers' success, they've, they've just developed this entire region of the, of the city all based on the Packers' success. Um, and they're starting to do that in Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee's taking Green Bay as an example of, hey, here's what we do. Let's capitalize on the success and, and help revitalize the city. Well, those are some, uh, some great points and uh, appreciate you joining. And who knows, maybe at some point I'll get out there and we'll check out a game at, at Lambeau Field with the Packers yeah. and we'll put together a shooting clinic. And I absolutely want to get back and see your facility. So, Ryan, we appreciate the time and thank you for joining our Scorebook Live Washington Today podcast. You bet, pal. Good to see you. Good talking to you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.